0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, in the last verses of Joel chapter 2, we see God's promises of a future tribulation and of a future kingdom. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: Now, in this tribulation time future, some tribulation saints, as I've been saying, will not die at any Christ's hand. They will enter into that millennial kingdom, in bodies capable of reproduction, as I've said. And let me give you two of a host of promises that will be true in Christ's thousand-year kingdom on earth. Let me just give you two. One of the promised blessings in that time period future is a removal of sickness and death, except... As a special punishment for overt sin. In other words people who die in the millennium. People are going to say they must have been overtly rebellious against Christ. The funeral homes will virtually go out of business in the millennium. Go with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 20. Speaking of the future millennial kingdom. It says in Jeremiah 30:20 their children also will be as formerly and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all their oppressors. Then let's flip over to Jeremiah 31 verse 29. Still speaking of the future millennial kingdom in Jeremiah 31:29, in those days, that's the millennial days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse 30. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. And here comes the greatest, clearest, new covenant detail in the whole of the Bible. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, and following. Behold, the days are coming. I'll interject. That's the millennial kingdom, the days that are coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Those days are the tribulation days. God says, after the tribulation days, he will make a covenant in the millennial days with his Jewish believers. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That's a great day. When the externality of God's law that shows us we need a savior because we don't measure up to the law. The externality of God's law will one day be an internality. And God will write his law on the believing Jews heart in the millennial kingdom. What a day that will be. And so one of the blessings of the future kingdom will is a removal of sickness and death, except as a special punishment from King Jesus for overt rebellious sin. The second thing, and I've alluded to this earlier in the message, another promised blessing of the future kingdom is an elongated lifespan. To see that, go with me to Isaiah sixty five, verse twenty, please. No longer will there be in it an infant. Who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the young will die at the age of about 100. God is saying, in that future time, you will be considered dying young if you die at 100 years. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. God is going to bring a renaissance, a healing to his creation during that future kingdom. And part of that renaissance will be an elongation of human lifespan. And all of this is to say that there are going to be major, macro, miraculous reversals that will characterize the millennial kingdom. What I like to say is that God is faithful to begin something, but he's faithful to complete what he begins. It's, he says that of our salvation in Philippians 1... That he will be faithful to complete our salvation until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, guess what? What God created initially in Eden, everything that God created that we read of in Genesis 1 and 2, and he said it was good, he's going to complete that thought, although we've had centuries of sin ravishing creation. But then one day, he will bring his son, Jesus Christ, to rule and to reign this creation from David's throne in Jerusalem and God will bring a righteousness to his creation that we have never seen perfection that we have yet to see because God finishes what he starts and so these macro major miraculous reversals that characterize the millennial kingdom will point to the king and he will get the glory and the praise and the service and in this time future God's holy spirit will be uniformly poured out on Jewish converts, and beautiful ministries will abound in that kingdom for we could call them completed Jews. I love it when a a Jewish person who's trusted Jesus Christ alone for their salvation says, I'm a completed Jew. That is so true. And there'll be a host of completed Jews in the millennium. So let's circle back to our passage, Jewel 2, and I want to read verses 28 and 29 with you at this point. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Whereas uh, verses 28 and 29 look ahead for the future millennium, verses 30 and 32, which we'll see shortly, look down the road to the nearer future for Joel, the tribulation. Now let's see what he saw about the tribulation. Remember, that precedes the millennium. Seven years that precede the millennium. God showed Joel something about that too. Verses 30 to 32. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Remember, i shared with you in this sermon, if you want to read all of the detail on the predictions of the future tribulation seven years, read Revelation chapters 4 through 19. But here, Joel was able to see some things about that future tribulation, at least four things he saw. Number one... He saw there will be a visible and dramatic phenomenon trumpeting the arrival of the tribulation. In other words, the tribulation will not sneak up on anyone like the rapture return of Christ will have done. Verses 30 to 31 say that God will send visible and dramatic phenomenon to announce the beginning of the tribulation. Verse 30, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood for the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then secondly, not only will there be visible and dramatic phenomenon announcing the tribulation, secondly, there will be people saved from their sins in the tribulation, and they will be saved in the very same way that we are saved in the church age, that is, by God's grace, through faith in God's Son and His work. That's how people will be saved in the tribulation. And therefore, there will be total impartiality, Regarding who will be saved by Christ in that future time. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. That was the prophecy. In the future tribulation, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be delivered from sin. Let's see that in verse 32a. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. So, there will be visible and dramatic phenomenon to announce the tribulation. Second, people will be saved in the tribulation the very same way that we are saved. And third, Joel was shown that in the future tribulation of those people who are saved from their sins, some will physically survive the Antichrist persecution
0: of the Christians. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well,
1: good morning. I'm so happy to be in the radio studio with my missionary friend, Lorraine Green. Good morning, Lorraine. Morning, Pastor. Lorraine serves as the senior director for global ministry in the sub-Saharan of Africa with her mission board team, and uh, you are an experienced uh, missionary, my sister, and. You have uh, ministered in Chad at a time when the country was at war, mm-hmm. and you went there in obedience and faith, and the Lord has seen you through a lot. So I think, in many ways, you're well positioned to uh, speak to some modern trends in world missions, and I was hoping you could do so in these
2: moments. When I went out as a missionary back in 1980, missions was considered a career. I went um, with the understanding that as long as the Lord kept the door open, I had every intention to serve as a missionary until my retirement. Yes. Since those days, of course, there's been this major shift towards short-term missions because of the ease of travel and the, uh, yeah, it's relatively inexpensive to buy a plane ticket to go different places and so on. So young people have been engaged in short-term missions, and pastors go for two weeks or a month and do seminars and teaching, and that's a lot of good work. But I want to say that there still is a place for a career missionary yes. who learns a language, integrates into the community, um, learns to understand and appreciate the people, and builds the relationships which on that uh, contributes to credibility and their willingness to listen, to accept what the gospel is saying to them. And of course, short-term missionaries would have, be hard-pressed if it wasn't for the long-term missionaries that are on the other end of that airplane trip to receive them yes. and to uh, facilitate their ministry. Nevertheless, we are moving now into another century, the 20, 21st, 21st yeah, century. It's amazing. Wow. So here we are wondering, how is missions going to be done differently in these next hundred years as we look to the future? And uh, we're finding, of course, that it's becoming increasingly challenging to raise support to finance uh, a missionary, particularly a Western missionary living overseas. It's very expensive. So we're looking at other ways of, of financing and facilitating missions. Just There are many, but one I would like to mention is the area of what we call Kingdom Professionals. We talk so much about a global economy and a a global world that many uh, North Americans are serving in the Middle East and Asia. Um, Many Asians are serving in Central Asia, in Africa. We see many Chinese in Africa uh, taking advantage of their resources there, the minerals and and the wood industry. We see uh, businessmen, the tech industries growing in India. So we see Indians moving um, even to Silicon Valley really? in California. Um, we see Filipinos serving um, in jobs in the Middle East, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, um, Kuwait, all the countries of the of the Middle East, and we see South Americans. Um, Moving in again into the Middle East and other areas, obviously there 's the whole refugee movement from the Middle East into Europe. Yes people are on the move for, whether for economic reasons or because of the trouble of war uh, so among these um, people on the move, many are Christians mm-hmm. uh, like Filipinos moving to the Middle East, many of them are coming out of churches yes. in the Philippines. Uh, Again, the Chinese church, large, growing church uh, with a vision to carry the gospel into areas, particularly Central Asia, Mm -hmm. the Stans. We talk about Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kurdistan, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, and the Stans of Central Asia. We have a lot of Chinese moving that direction. Um, And then Africans moving from one country to another. It's a bit challenging for them to go as far away as into Asia, but certainly uh, there's the Africans are moving among other African countries freely. And uh, so there's a great movement of people. Anyway, coming back to kingdom professionals, we're finding that people are in other countries working as engineers, medical, uh, political, um, diplomats, um, some as common laborers, but finding themselves in these other countries as Christians, we would like to channel their energies so that they can, they can be used for the gospel in a context where they find themselves. Taking the gospel into communities that we as foreign missionaries might not be able to access, such as um, offices, banking, banks, um, tech industries, um Muslim homes where Filipino women are serving as nannies and domestic workers. These are Christians finding themselves in the workplace. If we can train them so that they could be gospel witness and disciple makers in their context, they can be used for the glory of God. That's what we're talking about, kingdom professionals. They're there earning a wage, working a job, but being a gospel witness in their context.
1: Kingdom Professionals. I love that term. Is there another trend in world missions that you note?
2: As I mentioned, the, the shifting of people from one community to another, moving miles from one continent to another. Sure. This is exciting as we mobilize Uh, them in there to be uh, disciple makers. Um, Coming back to this subject of disciples. Yes. uh, Back in the 90s, we talked a lot about church planting movements. Now, 15, 20 years later, um, it's kind of evolved into more of a disciple making movement. We talk more about making disciples than we do about planting churches.
1: Obviously yeah, I just asked you to clarify what is what is a disciple? It's a Bible term, but in case people mm-hmm. don't know.
2: Someone who is a learner, who learns from Jesus Christ, to be like him, to walk with him and to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then to be able to share that with others. So that together these disciples are living life together with Christ in this world, where they find themselves, in their context. And so um, living life together as learners of Jesus Christ and following him. Thank you. So it spans all social um, categories and also theological categories. You can have a pastor walking with a common laborer Mm -hmm. uh, and and living life together Mm -hmm. as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a great leveler. Of Christian experience, not dependent upon education, training, um, and so on, or finances, whatever. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ. And so it it also mobilizes the laity, not uh, just looking to the professional clergy or theologians to be a witness, but rather. Everyone in the church is a witness for Jesus Christ, is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and multiplies himself in others. And so, this um, you can plant a church, but you might, doesn't necessarily mean that you end up with disciples. But if you make disciples, you will inevitably end up with a church. Interesting. And so, the emphasis has shifted from church planting to disciple making. Mm. And uh, we talk about the disciple-making movement. There are programs and resources, materials available to facilitate that. But it's just a very simple concept of mobilizing the laity, using them to the glory of God, to be a witness that Christ intended from the very beginning.
1: Those are two interesting trends uh, to be aware of. I wonder, with uh, your understanding of the Scriptures as a missionary, uh, sometimes I hear said... uh, You know, why should we send missionaries? I mean, isn't that arrogant to foist onto other cultures what we believe is truth?
2: That doesn't have to be a difficult question. Some people make it more complicated than it needs to be. But very simply, our God is a missionary God. He reached out to people, to lost sinners, hopelessly lost in their sin. He reached out to them. And that is simply what... What missions is, is reaching out to others to share with them the good news that Jesus Christ can set them free from their sin, from their shame, and from their fears. And uh, so we have a hope in the gospel that would be more devastating if we kept it to ourselves. That would be an injustice. That would be a tragedy. When we have access to good news that these people are longing for, and if we kept that to ourselves, who could ever imagine that? That would be a, a tragedy of all time. God reached out to us in the same way we reach out to others. Our God is a missionary God.
1: He is. He sent the first missionary who was his only begotten son, named yeah. the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. And Jesus stepped out of the palatial wonders of heaven mm-hmm. to... The globe of earth full of rebels. Uh That's so true. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners this morning, Lorraine?
2: Well, as you mentioned, Pastor, um, there are a lot of misconceptions in relation to missions. Mm -hmm. Um, Some feel that missionaries have destroyed culture, Mm -hmm. when actually, if you look into the history of missions, you will find it to be exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm the fact that we take the scriptures and translate it into the mother tongue of all of these many tribes of which we have done thousands of translations around the world <clears throat> uh, you think you said the other night that there are some 6000 trans uh, languages in the world yes but there are about 4000 now that have three or 4000 that have scripture portions mm-hmm. so we're making progress in that area but the fact that we work in the vernacular um, affirms to these people their, their uniqueness as a people group and as a culture. It, it validates their existence rather than undermines their, their value as a people group. Their language is important, so important that God speaks to them even in their mother tongue mm-hmm. through the translation of his word. And so um, these people groups that have received um, missionary activity have found healing and health and, and, and their identity in a positive sense, um, recognizing their culture as something of value. Obviously, there are things in culture that are corrupted because of sin. And by injecting the gospel, by preaching the gospel, by bringing people to Christ, they find their culture can be changed for the good still a reflection of their heart, their language, their culture, but it can be transformed to being a positive influence in their world rather than negative. When you think about India and how they used to burn the widow on the pyre of her dead husband, Mm -hmm. and instead now the gospel has set them free from that fear and that horror of the day when their husband dies and to validate her as a woman Mm -hmm. and an individual of precious in God's sight. Mm -hmm. um, It has set them free from a debilitating, a tragic aspect of their culture and found and has validated the women so that they can see themselves as something precious in God's sight. What could be better than that? That is the influence of the good news of Jesus Christ on a culture.
1: I am so glad you spoke to that and, and give, gave our listeners, you know, the real story here is, is transformative lives, uh, transformative cultures, not uh, the turning over of cultures for the sake of turning over cultures, but to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever you do in word or deed due to the glory of God. Yeah. And uh, that is such a true, uh, shall we say, a true conclusion for our chat this morning. And uh, I'm so grateful for what God has put into you by way of knowledge and experience. And thank you for sharing that, first with the Calvary Bible Church at conference, but then by extension to all of our listeners. God bless you, Lorraine.
2: Thank you, Pastor.
0: It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. First Corinthians 13.8 brings
1: forward the following question. Have tongues ceased In upholding the permanence of love over temporal and partial gifts, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul declares that tongues will cease. Paul associates this cessation of tongues with the coming of the perfect, Greek totalion. The key question for us is what is the perfect? Some have argued that the perfect refers to the completed canon of Scripture. It then logically follows that since we have a completed scripture, tongues have ceased. Others have suggested that the perfect refers to the second coming of Christ. This view would allow for the continuation of tongues through this present age. A third view suggests that the perfect refers to the maturity of the body of Christ. This third approach seems broad enough to embrace the relative maturity implied in Paul's illustration in verse 11 as well as the absolute maturity depicted in verse 12. The word teleos, mature, pictures the church growing collectively as a body, beginning with its birth and progressing through different stages through to the present age. The church will reach complete maturity at the return of Christ. The question when will tongues cease, is bound with the question, when will the church be mature? Certainly the church will be mature at the return of Christ, verse 11. It may also be considered mature when a time of continuing revelation is no longer necessary. At such a time, the gifts of knowledge, tongues, and prophecy will no longer be needed to provide
0: or to verify special revelation. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com that's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas and remember everyone needs a savior.